0: Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 23. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is God's Word.
1: So, programming note. uh, This is my bad. Um, Regarding Redeemer 101, if you have RSVP'd for Redeemer 101, it will not be a short meeting. Um, As as Bob said, I hate to break it to you, but because it's not a short meeting, we'll have lunch, and if you have kids, we'll have childcare. Um, And it's this week and next week, but it is a a way for us to help orient you a little bit better to who we are, our mission, our vision, our values, uh, as well as uh, what membership means, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so uh, Bob, that's my fault for uh, communicating poorly on on that. so I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in the middle of a series on Romans. Uh, we're actually headed down the home stretch. We're in chapter 14. There's only two chapters to go. Woohoo, We're almost done, right? Um, but uh, as we have been doing, uh, we have been <clears throat> looking uh, at little chunks as we work our way through, and in light of, particularly uh, go, going all the way back to chapter two, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse two. Uh, Paul says, in view of God's mercies, live like this. So everything that follows is in view of God's mercies, here's the deal. Here's the way it should look. Here's the difference it will make in your life. And we're spending three weeks on how we live with each other or learn to live with with each other in wisdom with respect to uh, what Paul calls at the beginning of chapter 14, Drew talked about this last week, disputable matters, okay, the gray areas, opinions Uh, and so forth, things for which there's no clear command set forth in Scripture. Uh, And last week, we we looked at how we love each other and practice grace in these matters, how to do that, Uh, what's at stake. Uh, He talked about, and I'll just remind you that there are two types of fools. There is the no black and white, no absolutes fool, and there is the only black and white, no gray fool. Neither one of these types of people are living in reality. There is black and white, and there is also gray at times. And so it's figuring out how to navigate that, and figuring out how to navigate that in our life together uh, that is the goal, okay, and part of the point. Uh, And I'm gonna explore a little bit more of that today based on what Paul says here in the second half of chapter 14. To define, again, the strong and the weak, just to remind you again. What what does he mean by strong and weak? He uses these words a lot in this section. He uses them uh, in other places, too. But the context is really not just Romans, but 1 Corinthians as well. And the issues of the day were things like eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols in a temple. And the Gentile believers were fine with doing that. The Jewish believers were saying, "Oh, I got a big problem with doing that, I can't do that, my conscience won't let me do that. And so part of the struggle that occurred not only in the church in Corinth, but here among the church at Rome, was how do these two groups of people live together? Uh, We're talking about Christians, after all. We're talking about brothers and sisters, members of the same family, those that share the same faith. Uh, And so, uh, you know, it's ironic in, in, in some sense that we would have the issues that we have with one another, but we forget that. And in verse 13, uh, I had Susan jump back and read 10, 11, and 12 uh, for a reason, which we'll get to, but verse 13 is a general application for both the strong and the weak, and so I want to apply that to both groups today. Most of what Paul is saying in Romans 14 is speaking to the strong in faith, probably because this was a majority Gentile church, Uh, and so the Jewish believers among them were really struggling with the practices of their fellow Christians. He, he, he talks about that. One person says, well, I can eat anything. The other person says, I can only eat vegetables. One person says, every day is okay. One person says, no, this day in particular is special and so forth. And I'm gonna be bouncing around in the text. I apologize for that, uh, but I do hope this will be helpful. Uh, I had a community group leader stop me before the first service and say, uh, hey, and of course they didn't stop me after the service. So, of course, they were talking about Drew's sermon from last week. No, listen, I'd rather hear him any any day anyway. But in all seriousness, she said, uh, hey, I just want you to know, we had a great conversation last week in our group about the discussion that the sermon uh, was bringing up, about these gray areas, about areas in which we disagree. And they had disagreements in their group. Uh, And she said, we didn't kill one another. It was great, you know. Um, we've got some strong personalities and some strong opinions, uh, but it was, it was encouraging to me to hear that. I hope it's encouraging to you as well, and whether your group met last week, it's meeting today, or meeting next week, uh, or, or all the above, I hope these will continue to be helpful to you, and even today as we, as we drill down a little bit uh, more deeply into this. So if you look at the outline, it's on the, the insert in your worship folder, uh, I'm going to do three things. I want to look at the dangers of the strong, dangers for the strong, the dangers for the weak, okay? Okay. And then what really matters in the kingdom that both of them need to remember uh, as they come together. But here's the thing. Both are called to not judge one another. Both are called to not put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of the other. Both are called to walk in love as those who have been, verse 3 of chapter 14, welcomed, received by who? You can talk, it's okay. You gotta go back and look, verse three, as those who've been welcomed by God himself in the gospel, okay? Uh, And so let's remember that as we go through. First, the dangers for the strong. Paul wants the strong to use their freedom to serve, not to abuse uh, the weak. Because the strong conscience Christian can very easily use their freedom and strength to lead weak conscience Christians to do things that feel wrong to them. Uh, If you go back to look at the call to worship from Galatians 5, uh, this is a powerful couple of verses here. You were called to freedom, brothers, Paul says, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or else you'll be consumed. And that's cannibalistic language he's using there. So when the strong and the weak forget love and go about relating to one another in their ways or from their perspectives, they can destroy one another, devour one another. And Paul refers to that even in this passage, as we'll see. Paul seems to be very concerned as to how the strong in particular use their freedom. After all, uh, he, he considers himself a member of the strong. If you look ahead in chapter 15, But in verse 14, he says, after warning both groups, if you look at verse 14, he says, after careful consideration and thinking, I'm persuaded that nothing is unclean in and of itself. In fact, he does the Jesus juke here. He says, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Argue with that, right? Mic drop kind of moment for Paul there. And he's not doing that as if to say, so anybody can't argue with me, and those who consider something unclean are are just silly or stupid. What does he say? I know that in the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself, but what? It's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. And so after careful consideration and thinking, another person considers something unclean, then the governing factor... For my relating to that person is, as far as they're concerned, that thing is unclean. It's not my opinion. It's not whether I think they're silly or stupid or right or wrong or any of that. It is, as far as they're concerned, that thing is unclean. Now, an illustration of this. Recently, I had a friend who shared with me a Facebook article that, that they um, came upon. And they asked me if I had seen it. I said, no, no promptly rolled my eyes, so I was already off to a great start with loving them um, as, they, as they came to me with this, but they said, um, I was reading this article, and, and I learned that Harper Collins, who is the publisher of the New International Version of the Bible, also publishes the Satanic Bible. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that, and of course, I said, where'd you read it? She's like, oh, it's on a Facebook article. Well, I mean, the Russians may have put that on there. We don't know, right? Who knows? Um, But no, seriously, that might not bother me at all. And it it just so happens, it it doesn't bother me at all. But for her, it's unclean. And she said, I'm having a hard time because it's hard for me to even support the NIV or want to read it anymore because of that. What What do I do? And I said to her, don't read it anymore, right? Now, what do I do? How do I respond to that? What is this passage calling me to? As far as I'm concerned, I'm free to read either Bible. I'm not really concerned with who publishes it, but the question for me in that moment is this. How can I serve her in my freedom? How does the law of love apply? Now, I I, I told Drew this last week. I'm not giving you my laundry list of where I stand on all those issues he went through last week to just let the cat out of the bag on you know, I thought, I was like, man, kudos to you. That's great. I can't, I'm not doing that, right? Um, but, uh, but, but in this particular situation, I found myself trying to suppress my, that's so silly. Why do you care? But for her, it was a big deal. So for Christmas, when she says, hey, I need a new Bible, I'm not going to give her an NIV for fun, Right? That's not loving. I'm probably going to get her an English standard version, which is uh, the version that I use. It's a great Bible, Translate, translation's wonderful, et cetera, et cetera. But in verse 15, Paul encourages the strong to not grieve the weak. And this is where I needed to be careful in that moment to not grieve. This person To grieve is to make uneasy, to confuse, to distress, but ultimately it can mean mean leading the weaker, easily influenced brother to do something they regard as wrong simply because the strong person is doing it. They think, well, I guess it's okay since so-and-so is doing it. But the trouble is they feel condemned as a result because, as he says at the end of the passage, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever is not informed by faith is sin and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. The question for us is, or for the strong rather, is your right to eat whatever you want? Is my right to read whatever version of the Bible I want, no matter who publishes it, worth destroying or tearing down another person? Of course not, which leads Paul to say in verse 16, for the strong, let's not allow what's good in this case, eating and drinking, to be spoken of as evil by our practice of it. Because the abuse and indulgence of your freedom can become something that the weak speak of negatively if you're not governed by the law of love in the, in the practice of it. So you take the example Paul refers to, if a strong believer in his day ate meat in front of a weaker believer without gently seeking to educate their conscience and without even being willing to refrain if there was disagreement, the weaker believer might end up looking at what is good, eating meat, eating and drinking, right? And thinking of it as wrong or evil. And so the strong have to be very, very careful. The questions for the strong to consider would be, is this a helpful thing? Is it helpful for me to to do this? Might it hurt others or the weak, right? Does it glorify God? And the principle kind of, uh, Uh, over over this whole thing that I want to give you is this. Love limits its liberty. Love limits its liberty for the sake of another person. Uh, In verse 19, which again, I'm going to apply to the strong and to the weak. In 19, when the strong emphasize or indulge their freedom, they are not pursuing what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. They're being divisive to the body of Christ. And that's a work of the flesh. Divisiveness. If you, if you go back to the first verse there that I referred to, verse 13, decide never to put a hindrance in the way of another brother. A stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. That is, to decide never to put an obstacle that keeps someone from finding their way to salvation. We should make finding your way to salvation as easy as possible, right? As, as freed from obstacles as possible. So an example uh, of this might be, and this really happened, uh, there was a recovering alcoholic, okay? A brand new Christian calls uh, one, of, one of the community group leaders and says, uh, hey, I'm just leaving my AA meeting. I know I'm late for community group, but could I, could I come? Community group leader says, yes, please come. And then immediately gets off the phone and says to everybody, because they had some wine and stuff around, and said, hey, we, we need to put all of this away, right? That's this person calling, once again, to say, hey, I got a meeting this afternoon, can I come to your community group, okay? Uh, They're calling again. So in that particular setting, in that particular uh, 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 instance, for them, it's unclean. And when we respond by saying, as this community group leader told me I was really tempted to do, hey, listen, alcohol's a good thing, God gave wine to gladden the heart of man, it's in the Bible, we don't abuse it, etc., etc., that person might be tempted to think when they show up to the community group meeting, well, these are all good, strong Christians. I have a lot of respect for all of them. They, they look like they've got it all together. Uh, one drink won't hurt. If it's okay for them, then surely it's okay for me. This is the danger that Paul is warning us about, warning the strong about. Because afterward, what will happen is that person would feel condemnation, and if they're struggling, their conscience gets distressed. You're grieving them. That's the warning, right? Or worse, in the case of, of somebody who is in AA, uh, they might fall back into heavy drinking, right? So, so it, it's something we have to be very, very careful of because it's not pursuing what makes for peace and building up. It's not giving up your rights. It's not limiting your liberty for the sake of a weaker brother or sister. Paul says, in that case, you've simply not considered the weak for that person to show up to the community group and they carry on business as usual, Maybe they haven't considered that person. The principle that should guide the behavior of the strong is this, not the question, how can I enjoy my freedom in the gospel here? Because if you walk around asking that question in every instance, strong people, you're probably going to risk running roughshod over weaker believers at times. The question for the strong is, what will lead to peace with my brother and the encouragement and holiness of my brother? And in order to do that, The strong can't just avoid or write off the, the quote, silliness of the weak. Uh, And I I, I know that that's something that the strong are tempted to do because I do it. Uh, What the strong need to be doing is staying close, pursuing, and welcoming as they have been welcomed in Christ. Paul goes on to warn in verse 20, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God, as in, in someone's life, the work of God, what, they're do, what God is doing in them. Everything is indeed clean, he says, verse 20, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And that's the ultimate danger for the strong, to indulge their freedom, which leads to them, as Paul says earlier in the passage, not walking in love not walking in love. Now, what are the dangers for the weak? Well, Paul wants the weak to live by their conscience, for sure, but not impose their conscience. And, and there's two types of weak people, incidentally. There are the types of people who really are weak. In the case of the illustration I just used, the person who's a brand new Christian, uh, has, has uh, struggled with alcohol addiction, is in AA, trying to figure things out, right? Um, And then there's the weak that are weak, but they act strong. And in every situation, uh, or in any given situation, if someone asks you if something is right or wrong, and you tend to be the kind of person that always has an answer, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the example is, then you might be one of these people, rather than the type of person who answers from time to time, well, I'm not sure about that. well, to be honest, I don't know, Uh, then there's a good chance you're probably continuing to wrestle and continuing to struggle through things. And incidentally, strong people, those of you that might identify as strong, and this is a great opportunity, again, in your community group to talk about this, um, if you're strong, then I would encourage you, uh, part of the strength is to not know always either. I'm not sure. I don't know. To not be so sure is a sign Uh, of humility and just not knowing. Because the problem for the weak, you see, is a conflict of conscience and a temptation to allow their conscience and its strictness to make demands and decisions on the whole church. The weak who act strong can become dictators if we're not careful. Very loud voices, very confident assertions on who is and who is not a Christian, usually based on a long list of do's and don'ts. And when the so-called disputable matters, when the so-called opinions, as Paul refers to them in verse 1 of chapter 14, when those things become the barometer to measure faithfulness or even membership and inclusion in the body of Christ, then you know that the weak have won the day. And we, we can't let that happen either. Paul addresses the weak believers in, in various ways throughout the first half of the chapter. And he finishes that up with the first couple of verses that, that Susan read. And it's my bad for not putting them on the insert. I apologize. But it, it, if you have a Bible or you just want to listen, in 10, he says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. See, the weak are most susceptible to forgetting that God alone is judge. And if a fellow Christian differs from you in a matter of conscience, you have no right to condemn them. God has accepted them, after all, and yet we will all still have to give an account of ourselves, verse 12, to God, in the end, what we have done and why we've done it, or what we haven't done and why we haven't done it. As he says earlier in the chapter, Verse five, actually, each one should be convinced in his own mind as it relates to these types of things. And that would assume some level of thought and prayer, right? And so the weak desiring a level of strength might decide in their mind, but the challenge for them, the danger for them is to keep open the possibility that another person's mind may not be convinced. And can they live with that? Are they okay with that? In, again, verse 19, applying that to the weak. When the weak impose their conscience and its sensitivities on fellow Christians, they're adding to the gospel, which, which can tear down and destroy peace. It's divisive to the body of Christ. It's a work of the flesh. And so these types of people can create stumbling blocks as well. They can set up obstacles that keep someone from finding their way to salvation. An illustration of this would be a new Christian, okay, brand new Christian, comes into a church, joins it, and begins to get to know some people in it. And what they begin to hear from most of the people in the church who've been around for a while, they say, you know, um, real Christians, holy Christians, good Christians don't watch rated R movies. And this person's coming from a background where maybe they're in the movie industry, right? Maybe they're in film, television, something like that. Watching rated R movies has never been that big of a deal to them. Now, should they begin to think about that? Well, absolutely. But what this church has, is, is then doing is the weak are saying, in order to measure up or in order to be considered blank, you can't do X, right? They're setting up uh, additional requirements, basically. And whereas love limits its liberty for the sake of others, these Christians tend to want to limit the liberty of others, because of their scruples or their rules. They're not making the way obstacle-free from a person finding their way to salvation. They aren't walking in love. See, when we demand that another not eat what we don't eat, we can cause grief too. And that too can destroy the work of God. You can destroy the one for whom Christ died by what you do not eat and demanding that they don't eat it either when it hasn't been cleared in their conscience to the degree it has in yours. See, this is very much what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 23 when he says to the Pharisees, you, you tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and then you lay them on people's shoulders. So what really matters for Paul, how Paul wants to encourage both the weak and the strong, is away from themselves and toward each other. The only way is love. That is, after all, what the world will notice, right? You know the old song Our love for one another is the distinguishing mark of his disciples. They'll know we're Christians, that is, Christ's followers by our not watching rated R movies. No, he didn't no the song didn't say that. And Jesus didn't say that either. He said, This all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so that's what Paul wants to push us toward and encourage us toward. And so that brings me to the third thing, what matters most in the kingdom of God. The goal is a life of faithing that leads to a life of loving. Because here's the problem. Whatever doesn't proceed from faith is sin. So whatever is not informed by your faith is sin. The only only thing that can be informed by faith is love. Faith leads to love, right? Always, that's the way it should be, that's what the, the scriptures tell us, and a danger for both the weak and the strong is when their faith doesn't inform their behavior. For the strong, it means abusing their freedom. For the weak, it means acting against their conscience or making demands of the conscience of their conscience on other people. Right? None of those situations are we describing people who are loving. If you look down at at verses 22 and 23 there at the end of the passage, Paul speaks to both groups. Whether strong in the faith or weak in the faith, he says, keep that faith between you and God In, in the disputable things. What he means is, don't be a person who presses or loudly displays your views so that everything becomes a big deal. Listen, the resurrection, that's a big deal. Like, we need to die on the hill of the resurrection. But, Whether you read the NIV or the ESV version of the Bible, sorry, Bob, I'm not going to die on that hill. Bob was part of bringing about the English Standard Version. So, like, you know, he's in our church. We're all supposed to use it and all that sort of thing. I'm kidding. But we can make a big deal out of a lot of things that are not a big deal and not make a big deal out of things that really are a big deal. Paul goes on to say, to the extent that your faith is clearly informing your conscience, you'll have clear reasons for what is okay and not okay to do. For you, you'll you'll not, you'll not feel condemned internally, and you'll not be a person who readily condemns everyone else. You'll be okay with some doubts, some doubts for yourself and doubts for other people, because if your conscience or their conscience isn't informed by faith, they'll be and you'll be in sin. Verse 23 Paul's point is your faith always, 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 always should inform uh, your behavior because what really matters in the life of the Christian is verse 17. He sort of puts this right in the middle of the whole thing. He says, uh, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about eating and drinking. It doesn't consist of, is the sense in the the, uh, original language, it doesn't consist of eating and drinking. Paul says, The kingdom is how our lives and especially our freedoms are guided by what will bring about righteousness and peace and joy. How are we bringing those things about? And of course, he's talking to both the strong and the weak. If you look back at the call to worship again, walking by the spirit is a preventative against gratifying the flesh. When life becomes primarily about a list of what you can or cannot eat or drink, Paul says you're missing the point. You'll end up indulging the flesh you'll end up being full of self-righteousness and just a smug, judgmental person. The kingdom's priorities, on the other hand, what matters for the life of faith is this righteousness, peace, and joy produced by walking in the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the like, right? If you look, lastly, at the assurance of pardon, I just wanna uh, reflect on it for a moment. There's a flow there. He says, be imitators of God as his beloved children and walk in love in the same way Christ walked in love toward us, giving himself up, right? Surrendering his rights. The only way to walk in love is to be living by faith. Faithing leads to loving. Love proceeds from faith, and that's the only way for the strong and the weak to live together in harmony. Listen, the witness of the church is at stake in this stuff. It's a big deal, the witness of the church to the watching world, to those who are not Christians, to those who, who, who may be on their way to becoming Christians, who are among the church. It's a big deal, right? To limit my freedom, to not indulge my rights, I've gotta be informed by faith. Faith in the one who came not to be served, but to serve, the Lord Jesus himself, right? But as well, to not judge, to not impose my views on another when we might disagree, I've got to be informed by faith also. Both both people have to be informed by faith. Faith in the one who was silent at times. Faith in the one who didn't try to win every argument. Who humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. See, Paul says to uh, his young, uh, a young uh, Christian uh, leader, Timothy, In 1 Timothy 1, the aim of our life, the whole aim of our life is love. And he says, it's a love that issues from or flows out of a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. So would you pray with me? Let's pray and let's ask that God, through the gospel, would produce in us pure hearts, good consciences, sincere faith, so that we might walk in love, love toward one another Uh, despite our differences. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Oh, Lord Jesus, how we uh, beg that you would humble us, uh, that you would give us the the courage, because it takes courage to walk in love, uh, to surrender our rights, to limit our liberty for the sake of someone else. Help us learn to live together in such a way that it would honor and glorify you because it would be informed by a faith in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming not to be served, but to serve, to give of yourself. May we give of ourselves to one another as we continue to learn how to navigate life together amidst all of our many differences. And would you be glorified and would the world see and come to know you as a result, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, Whether you find yourself uh, a strong person or a weak person, uh, make that your prayer. It's everybody's prayer together uh, to offer through us a welcome of Christ uh, to each other uh, and then to the world around us. So receive these words as a confirmation of that and as the fuel, no matter where you go, whatever work of love lies ahead of you, this is his promise he goes with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.